0: Welcome to We Mean Business. I'm your host, Ruby Arora. This podcast is about something that affects all of us, business. Our culture and society are molded around business and what business leaders want. It impacts our daily lives more than we know. Here at the Reynolds Center, we focus on business journalism. And we're here acting as the liaison, connecting business with journalism, allowing journalists to cover business better. Kristen Gilliger is a professor in business journalism at Arizona State's Cronkite School of Journalism. Could you please give us a brief synopsis of your background?
1: Yeah, I uh, worked in newspapers for 20 years before coming to ASU. Uh, My positions were mostly various
0: editing positions. So what inspired you to write your book, There's Mm -hmm. No Crying in the Newsroom?
1: Um, Let's see, uh, maybe because I told too many women that uh, there's no crying in the newsroom. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> is
0: that where the title originated from? Actually,
1: though? where it came from was, we had a terrible time coming up with the title for this okay. book. I mean, it was like, we're harder than writing the book was really? coming up with the title. Okay. And um, I remembered that one of my favorite movies of all time is Lie We spoke about and, this earlier. Yeah. And there's that great scene you, where he says, watch. there's no crying in baseball. And I said, boy, how many times have I said, there's, there's no, no crying in the newsroom. And I never cried in the newsroom. That was going to be my next no. question. But that's not like a good thing, necessarily. Why is so? Well, because it uh, is indicative of the role and the place of women in news organizations. You know, tears uh, were seen as weak. Uh, you could not cry in front of your colleagues, um, no matter how harsh the circumstances. And newsrooms, I mean, when I entered newsrooms, they were not... Still true to some extent, but they were not particularly welcoming places for women.
0: Yeah.
1: And so you had to, um, you know, you had to hide your feelings a lot. You had to be tough. You had to be as tough as one of the guys. And so that was part of it. But, you know, also when, and my co author is Julia Wallace, who's on our faculty, mm-hmm. and she was the editor of the Atlanta Journal Constitution. We worked together at uh, the paper in Oregon. And, um, And both she and I, when we entered newsrooms like, you know, in the early 80s, thought, you know, things will change because you just need women in the pipeline, right? You need more women and then it's going to start changing the culture. And that happened to some extent, but certainly not as much as we expected.
0: What did you expect versus what reality is? Yeah, I
1: mean, I think that. Even today, most newsrooms could be described as a pretty macho culture. Very um, particularly, you know, in certain departments like sports would be a good example. Editorial, politics, and business to mm-hmm. some extent. In business, uh, women are starting now to almost get to parity in newspapers in terms of being in the top editing positions, but they're not there yet. Mm-hmm. And we won't just expected this would all happen much faster than it did. And so we saw our students and our daughters entering an industry that looked an awful lot like the one that we had entered. And we went, why haven't things changed more? So that was part of the impetus for writing the book is, is to look at that and try to answer that question, but also You know, women's histories are often sort of erased. They're not told. Mm -hmm. And we didn't think that this story of women's experience in newsrooms, basically from like the 70s on, had been really documented. And nobody had really told their stories. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to sort of capture those experiences thinking that what they experienced and they learned could be helpful for
0: younger yeah. women coming into newsrooms today. Is it disappointing to hear that now more women than ever are leaving broadcasting, there's a higher turnover rate of women going into journalism and then leaving shortly after, X amount of years? Well,
1: you know, the, the statistics of this are interesting. Um, overall, um, Journalism schools are predominantly female. Mm -hmm. And uh, women and men enter the profession at about the same rate, Mm -hmm. and about the same levels, um, and presumably even about the same pay. And so it's fairly equitable starting out, especially if you take out PR, if you take out, I mean, part of it is that a a bunch of women are going into PR, but if you take that out, it's about equal going into the news business. Mm -hmm. And, um, And it stays that way for a while and then you start seeing 10, 20, and 30 years in, women are dropping out. It's yeah. not happening like in Quite one good. year or two, but it's it's happening typically around that time where you've been doing it for a while, and you look around and it isn't what you had hoped it would be or what you expected, and you see inequities, and maybe you're tired of the way you've been treated, and though that's when women start reevaluating whether this is a long-term proposition for them or not. Mm-hmm. So there's still there's still ways to go. There're also yeah. pay inequities still. Yeah. You know, the Los Angeles Times just settled a dispute over pay that showed that uh, women were making something like 30% less than mm-hmm. men in the same positions. So there are still inequities after all of these years, you know, yeah. 50 years later. We're still, and if you look at issues like sexual harassment or that kind of treatment of women in
0: newsrooms, that still exists as well. How would you advise women to go about a situation where they may face sexual harassment in the newsroom or in journalism at all?
1: In general, I would say, you know, to never think that you're the only one or that you're alone. And the power is in, you know, is in allies the power is in other people men and women who can be both understanding and supportive of uh, of you in that experience so it depends how you would handle it individually sometimes you want to go report it you know sometimes it's something that you can handle but it should never feel like you're on your own
0: would yeah. you see it ever getting better in the near future yeah, where I think it's like it, women are more in power, like you said, in bigger markets? Yes, I mean,
1: I, I think so. Um, if you look,
0: there's been quite a bit of change recently. Would you say it would go at the same pace it did when you were back in 1980? <laughs> when <you laughs> Will said, it take like, another you another know, 50 years? For us to get the other foot in uh, the door. I don't know.
1: I'm afraid I don't want to go out on a limb on that one. I don't know how long <laughs> it's going to take to get to full parity. We're getting closer. Um, in, in newspapers now, the last uh, statistics I saw, which I think were from 2020, um, about 47%, 46% of top editing jobs at U.S. newspapers uh, were
0: women. Slowly but surely, yeah, hopefully, well, right. hopefully, Hopefully, yeah. Um, a st- heading you had on the cover of your book is what women have learned, like what it takes to lead. What have you learned, or what advice can you give to women entering journalism or business journalism?
1: Well, the book is filled with advice, so I have buy to the think book, of guys. something. Buy the book, Yeah, so buy the book. Um, let me think. Um, I, I, I would say that one of the things that in my own experience and in the interviews that we did with women, and we interviewed over 100 people for this book, most of them women, and one of the things that came up a lot that surprised me was confidence. So these mm-hmm. are clearly accomplished women, right? They've done amazing things. They've led news organizations. And um, and they so frequently expressed doubt about themselves. And doubt is not a bad thing. I mean, you know, who wants to work for somebody who's like always 100% sure that they're right and never has any doubts and doesn't listen to other people? You, that's, not what, that's not what you want. But you don't want to doubt yourself to the point of paralysis. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the characteristics that um, almost everybody who studies this and writes about this agrees on that, uh, that good leaders have is the confidence to act, to make decisions. And if especially if a woman doesn't act when action is required, then that undermines the perception of her as a leader to a large extent. And so what I tell myself and as a leader and other women is that you have to be willing to act and to make decisions even when you don't have 100% of the information and even when you're not 100% sure. And will you make mistakes? Yes. Uh, it's probably better than not acting, than being frozen. For me, you know, it's like if I have ninety percent of the information I need, yeah. <laughs> I'm eighty percent sure, then I might move ahead. Yeah, because you have to keep moving. You have to be able to make decisions. So that's one piece of advice that that I might offer.
0: What would you say a woman should do if she's indecisive in a situation and like pressure is on, like it's all or nothing and all be all, like a decision needs to be made?
1: For the most part, I would say, you know, as quickly as you can consult, mm-hmm. get as much information as you can, think about it for the as much time as you can wrangle to think about it, and then make a decision. Make a decision.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to answer my questions for my podcast. I greatly appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks to everyone for listening. Make sure you subscribe and join us next time as we talk about more business topics and what journalists need to know.
1: This is We Mean Business, sponsored
0: by the Reynolds Center at Arizona State University.